guys, and welcome to Conversations with Carissa, a podcast where we'll have conversations so that you and I can learn and grow from the wisdom of others. episode 19 of conversations with carissa if you don't know who i am well i'm carissa (laughs) and 19 is my favorite number so it's only fitting that we have someone who is very near and dear to my heart um but before we get into that i'm actually switching things up i want to start with gratitude first not have the quote of the day because always start your day with gratitude well it's kind of midday by now but anyways i am grateful for the person who is here that brought me the most delicious, I don't know if it was brown butter, but brown butter chocolate chip cookie. I was already stuffed, okay? I made myself some like giant portions of pasta and I was set on not eating again. But then this person brought the cookie and I demolished it in less than two seconds. So grateful for that. And then the quote of the day that comes from my guest actually comes from my guest's father. Love that man. Love that man. Uh, and it's, you don't have to be first, you just have to be the best. <laughs> so who do I have here with me today? I have the one and the only Catherine Mother Truckin' Chuang. <laughs> um, some stuff about her, you know, a little background. She grew up in Marin, if you don't know where that's from, um, Google it. Uh, it's very nice, very beautiful. She grew up there, did a small stint at you see Santa Cruz, <laughs> then um, went to community college because she was like, never mind, never mind, killed it in community college and then transferred to UC Berkeley where she's studying business. She is the epitome of <laughs> a student. Um, in between all of that, you know, school stuff, she worked at Peloton, which we can talk about if you'd like. And then she worked at civil media, which was creating rational citizens. Uh, on top of that, also, I know this background behind all of these things, which is funny. It's funny. She was a PM intern at Simplify. She basically resuscitated a club that I just could no longer like give my full effort to, which was FinEd. She was also an intern at Twilio, but all this, all this doesn't, it does matter, but it doesn't because on top of everything, like she has been by my side through Oh, man, I would say the two most transformative years and was there when I was like crying on the floor. She's like, what is the, what does the floor feel like? What do your pants feel like? I'm like, they're soft. She's like, go get a bag of ice. I'm like, okay. Just like definition of helping me when I was down and I feel like vice versa. So welcome to my guests. And what I want to start doing with guests is they share their gratitude. So putting you on the spot. Hello, everyone. I'm very, very excited to be here. I've listened to every single episode. Okay, oh, yeah. I forgot. I forgot. Not only does, like, is she, has she always been there and been a big proponent of, like, me pursuing my passions, but every single time I post an episode, she sends me, like, a comprehensive, <laughs> like, five-paragraph summary of everything that she enjoyed, so I guess you get to do this for yourself. So, anyways, I didn't think about that. <laughs> okay, what's your gratitude today? 
I am very great. It's really interesting you ask for gratitude mm-hmm. because I remember, I don't remember who it was, maybe it was Jeremy, but someone basically said, there's no way you have that many things to be like grateful for. Isn't that Jeremy? Or was that someone else? That was definitely not me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, was, I heard it in some podcasts. Um, today, I'm very, very grateful for the people who love and support me. I feel like it's really special to have that kind of group that's outside your family is, you know, mm-hmm. when you go off to college, you kind of start building this second family, like your chosen family for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm just very, very grateful for everyone in that. So for those listening or didn't read the title, they were talking about, <laughs> I don't know, I'm pretty sure people do. We're talking about body image and some sensitive topics like eating disorders. So let that be sort of a warning to everyone who's listening and also on that same note healing your relationship with food um, in order to address some of those past traumas so to you Catherine growing up in Marin can you like take me to where you grew up paint a picture for me and then how did that shape this standard that you had or this image that you had of what is beautiful, what is the ideal, what is a quote-unquote woman? I was born in Pennsylvania. Oh, you were? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, keep going. going. Um, Anyways, so I grew up in Marin, and for those of you that don't know, Marin is a very, for lack of a better word, it's very white. Mm-hmm. um so going to high school and you know that was kind of when I was started to really become aware of who I am and what my identity as a I guess like soon-to-be woman and just like developing what's it called like girl like a developing developing girl. woman I, I think so yeah, yeah like in development right or like going through puberty mm-hmm. um I was one of four Asians in my high school class Everyone else was white. Um, we had more special needs um, students than we did black students. Oh. I think we had like one black student. And, I think you told me that. Yeah. Um, so, and that wasn't just high school. You know, the high school is where I really became aware of it. But then looking back on it, you know, kindergarten through eighth grade, I was pretty much one of a small handful, as in like you could count them on one hand. Um, Asians and I didn't really realize how much that affected me until I realized I was trying so hard to be white my Mm. standard of beauty was very Eurocentric features and I remember there was part of me that just like I wish I had blonde hair and like I wish I had blue eyes Um, and so growing up in that environment wasn't extremely conducive to self-love because Mm. it's you know I didn't grow up with people like me and of the other Asians that were in my class. I don't, I don't know why. I just never really saw them. We were never in classes <laughs> okay. together. So maybe that's a probability thing. When you think of white, like you, so you just mentioned some of the, are those considered phenotypes? Like blue eyes, blonde yeah, hair. So. Mm-hmm. What about? There's like very Eurocentric features. Like I remember I used to get so insecure about my eyes really because yeah because there was this one guy in my sixth grade math class I specifically remember because I was sitting right next to the teacher and I got really sad about it um so unless Chris was posting this video um for those of you who don't know I have monolids um and I my lashes aren't naturally curled 
mm. such straight lashes as I'm sure like many Asians do um and I I didn't think much of this before this guy pointed it out but mm. one day he turns to me and he goes Calvin do you even have eyelashes I was like what do you what do you mean <laughs> yeah I do <laughs> like what a weird question he's like are you sure and I he was trying to gaslight me about her or something I was like yeah like what do you mean like can't you see them he was like no I can't and from that day forward I remember it it stuck with me so much because I tried to make this really big effort to you know start wearing mascara and this was Mm. in sixth grade and my I remember my parents always telling me like why are you wearing makeup like you don't Mm. need makeup Mm. I was so hellbent on I guess like making sure the world knew I had eyelashes (laughs) which sounds really silly but when that's something that you didn't even notice yourself and then someone points it out you're kind of like oh did everyone was everyone thinking this you really unlocked a memory for me yeah yeah because growing up I don't know if I had I think one I had double it and one I had a monolid and then Mm. and then I soon developed like a double lid and I felt like I fit in and then I got a sigh in my eye <laughs> bro bro I got a cut in my contact right from so I left it me about I did uh, maybe <laughs> I left the contact in my eye for the whole day and then when I finally took it out at practice I was playing like with one eye I have negative six vision or I, know, I think it was negative five <laughs> so it was, I kept rubbing it rubbing it and then I developed a sigh and then that left one eye with a monolid and for the longest time I looked in the mirror and you know how the standard of beauty is also that things are symmetrical yeah so I was like freak well now my face isn't beautiful because it's not symmetrical my eyes one of them is like a monolid and I think mm. we put that standard on ourselves that a monolid isn't pretty so what I did and my friend did you get the tape yes <laughs> I put the tape if you guys don't know what that is it's like eyelid tape that you would get from Daiso and yes. stick it in your eye. I've always wanted to try it. Well, what? Now we're realizing, like, why? So I did that. I remember I went to Oregon on a family vacation. I didn't feel like I could take pictures unless I had a double lid, whether it was like a selfie or mm. a family picture. And I totally forgot that I was, I totally <laughs> forgot that I did that. But wh- what about body wise? Like, what was your idea of a beautiful body? So I really started to pay attention to my body in high school. Mm-hmm. Not so much in middle school. I, I feel like middle school, I kind of just like drifted around. Anyways, yeah. Um, in high school, and I, I say this in, I, I don't know how else to say it. Essentially, girls at my high school weren't really eating. I noticed that not a lot of people ate. And this was specifically like during lunch. Yeah. And you would hear all these kids talk about, um, not kids, you'd hear all these girls talk about like, oh, like I like I only ate four almonds today. I know that sounds absurd. It is, but you know, that's that's what I was hearing. And I was like, oh gosh. And then, you know, there were girls who their moms thought they were too big, so they put them on diets. Like this one girl her mom bought her subscription to Jenny Craig and she could only have like half a burger for lunch, but it was like a very specific low carb diet. But it was insane. It was ridiculous. And because this happened so much and pretty much I heard this from every single girl, I thought this was a very normal thing. And I was like, oh, mm. well, 
maybe you know because well one I'm in my high school I kind of felt like the odd one out a lot of the time and I was like mm-hmm. oh well like this is all the white people are doing like maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing yeah and so eventually on top of these like Eurocentric I guess facial features that I was like idealizing I also s- equated skinny to beautiful I thought mm-hmm. you could only be beautiful and attractive wow. I thought guys would only like you if you were skinny and you know you didn't have oh, there's this one phrase like that what was it I think it was like do you have barbie legs or american girl doll legs what that is insane. maybe that's just a red thing i don't know maybe <laughs> i've never heard that what does that mean whether or not your calves are like super defined like like are your legs like skinny or are they kind of like just like uniform oh and what was considered the quote-unquote good the barbie yeah interesting because whoa i'm thinking back to my hometown and what was considered beautiful mm-hmm. and you know for some reason at that time thigh gaps right that thigh was gaps. such a thing but i was learning this from like a family friend she was like oh you have a thigh gap i wish i had that and so i always look in the mirror oh. i was like dang look at my thigh gaps <laughs> <laughs> but then we started going to high school and now it's big butt big right butt. and then they'd be like oh that girl has like a like an inverted butt and I'd be like oh my gosh I sit on the toilet so long I might have an inverted (laughs) butt it's just crazy that beauty standards will vary by place and by the time in our lives and like you just but see like in at my high school the beauty standard was skinny but somehow you also had like a really nice butt and and like great boobs it was like the kind of like model like what you see on Instagram and what I now know as like very unrealistic standard of beauty. Mm. Forgot what meals that you had like for a long period in high school. It's like apple. Yeah. So okay, <laughs> this is a really, really like dark time in my life. Um there came a point in high school around I want to say late sophomore year, beginning of junior year, where I started to get really, really insecure about just how I physically looked. I thought, you know, my my boobs weren't big enough, my butt wasn't big enough, I wasn't skinny enough. And, you know, on top of the fact that I was Asian, I just felt out of place altogether. <laughs> I know that sounds really silly. No, no, it is. And I remember I was like, okay, well, like I, I want to be skinnier because I remember it, there came a point where all these girls around me, they were starting to get boyfriends and mm. people were hooking up with each other and everyone was getting their first kiss. And I was like, wow. That must be really nice. Why don't I have that yet? And so I really fell deep into this analysis of, well, what do they have that I don't, right? Because Mm -hmm. obviously it's not about grades and it's not about your brain. So then it must be about physical features. And I somehow concluded that it's because I wasn't skinny enough. And so there came a period in my life where for breakfast, I would have either like just an apple or mm-hmm. just one egg and then for lunch you know those like Trader Joe's like trail mix uh like snack packs like the pre-packaged mini packs the purple ones and for lunch I would just have this tiny bag of trail mix and then for dinner I would just you know have a little bit of whatever you know my mom and dad cooked that was what I ate and I was essentially starving myself mm-hmm. I remember there were times where I would I would be so hungry I don't but I was 
I felt so insecure that I was like, you know, like maybe this is good. I don't know. Like all the other girls are talking about how hungry they are. Mm. So if we're all hungry, can it really be that bad? <laughs> it was very group thing. <laughs> it was literally group thing. And I remember it got so bad one day. I almost passed out in science mm. class because I was just so deprived of everything. Mm. Of proper nutrients my body needed and just feeding myself. I was in such a caloric deficit. That day, I think I, I went back and I did some research, you know, I looked up anorexia and, you know, how in a, I hate saying this, but I was like, how do you become anorexic? And it essentially got to the point where you had to, your body had to burn off all of the carbs and the sugar and, you know, everything your body was retaining. And then it would start cutting down on the muscle. Right. Mm. But then I also learned that when you starve yourself your body doesn't actually know if that's intentional or unintentional and because of that your body goes into survival mode which essentially means it's going to hold on to every single thing you eat so you don't actually lose weight because your body is so scared that you don't know when you will next eat and if you will have enough to eat that it's going to retain more than it usually would the moral of the story is you were eating a little bit but right I was eating a little bit and my body was just retaining all of it oh like nutrients wise carb wise sugar level wise like it was holding on to all of it so much and I was probably retaining a lot of water weight too and at that point I was like well if I'm not losing any weight like why am I doing this oh okay I get what you mean now yeah yeah yeah. like you're doing all of this but you're not even losing exactly yeah and I'm like I'm not even losing the weight then why am I doing this at all like that's kind of stupid Mm. and that's how I got myself out of my eating disorder um but it was really only when I got to Berkeley that you know I was able to get out of that Marin bubble and was able to see that yeah people don't really have eating disorder like that's not normal and it's not common every single girl to have an eating disorder I didn't know yeah but I understand I understand why like and I'm not saying that to you know discount anyone who does have an eating disorder but it's a lot of my eating disorder it's not nearly as common as I thought it was yeah and that's why we're talking about it is because you may not have known because at that time it was so normalized yeah of what your body should feel like and even now, maybe we don't even know the full extent yeah. of what fitness and like healthy lifestyle really is. So for you, for food, do you have any little traumas or little triggers, I guess, that still come up even as you're in the process of like healing? Yeah, I'd say a lot of the times it's tied to stress or when I feel mm. like a lot of things in my life are very out of my control. because then I start to look at things that I can control Mm. Um, and I'd say that manifests itself itself in very restrictive eating Mm. of like I can only eat this much or I can't eat past this time or sometimes it's indulgence into I guess an increase in quantity of food that I wouldn't normally eat so it's kind of like ranging on both sides of not eating versus eating too much and what's crazy is like you're the biggest food lover i am i love food (laughs) so what do you do now to kind of mend those triggers 
you have to name them or can you just recognize like, hey, this is a stressful week. So I recognize <laughs> that I'm going to probably be eating a little bit more and that's kind of okay. Or what other methods have you used? It's, it's mainly that. It's being able to notice and not just notice I'm like my emotional state in passing. It's really like mm. saying it to myself in my head of, okay, like, I know this is a really, really emotional time for me right now, or I know I'm very stressed right now. As a result, this might happen. And now that I'm aware of it, you know, I can actively work to be more intentional about how I eat and what I eat. And so I guess the second part of that is being really intentional. Like I really enjoy planning out meals. So for example, Mm. not only is it something for me to look forward to, Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's great when you're able to be excited about a meal that you're going to have <laughs> later in the day. It's so interesting to hear how people think and talk about food. Because you have people like Noah. <laughs> I, okay, don't get me wrong. Noah, you're great. And if you're listening to this, no shame at all. But I, oh, it, it hurts me to see <laughs> you only eat chicken and rice or like ground turkey and rice with no seasoning. He doesn't even eat rice. Raw salad, it ground turkey, hurts. and potatoes. That's disgusting. And I was like, no Whoa. dressing, no seasoning. Yeah, but he, that works for him. Like he's totally okay with that. Whereas some people, like you have to be, like even for me, it has to look like decent. It has to, it has to engage me. <laughs> yeah, I have to want to eat it. But then again, sometimes I just throw like chicken skewers from Costco and eggs on, on the pan, throw on Cholula sauce and ketchup, and it look, it tastes delicious. At least you have seasoning. What I'm trying to get at here is that everyone has their own individual way of approaching food. And so I want to know what are some of the unique ways that you've started to heal? I'll give some examples so that you can kind of think. So for me, last semester, I had I would say like a kind of damaged relationship with food Mm. and working out. I was over training, like playing volleyball and working out. Yeah. I would have the small side dish plates and that would just be filled. But if you look at that objectively, like there's nothing on that tiny little plate. Right. So then I had to start switching to try and build up back up my relationship because at that time I lost my period. And you know, that. I remember. Yeah. So when you were talking about how your body adapts to food, I was like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll go on survival mode and take away from things that it thinks are not necessary, which is mm-hmm. your reproductive systems. And like, no one really talks about that. Cause when I lost it, I was like, what is going on? Like, is there something wrong with me? Will I never be able to have kids again? Mm. I'm, and I was like tired and I, I was didn't break- have an appetite. I didn't have an appetite. I didn't want to eat. I was breaking out in eczema so badly. Mm. And so some of the things that I've done to kind of remediate that, given that now I have more time, like before I was so busy, now I have more time, I get a bigger plate. And now when I have that same amount of food that I had on that little Mm -hmm. tiny dish, now it just looks like, oh, that's not that much food. Like I can finish that. Yeah. So it plays a mental game. Mm, Um, I like that. So is there anything that you do that would help people who are maybe struggling with their relationship with food? I realized I really like to practice like intuitive eating. I feel like everyone has a very different definition of that. Yeah. But for me, at least it's being very intentional about what I eat, how I eat it um, and when I eat it. And I say when, because if I'm not hungry, I I don't really need to eat anything, or at least that's something I've started to live by recently. So 
every couple of months, I'll do a deep clean of my pantry and all of my snacks that I've accumulated <laughs> because there, there will always be that one thing that I bought because I had a craving and I've just never touched again. Mm. And I can't keep it there because if I keep it there, that's going to be what I reach for when I'm starving and I, you know, didn't have enough time to prepare dinner. But I always feel really, really bad after I eat a lot of those things, for example, Cheetos. (laughs) And so it's being very intentional about what food I have in my apartment. So similar to you. So I think just being really intentional and paying attention to what foods make me feel really good. And so that's one thing I really like to pay attention to is, you know, how do I feel afterwards? Do I feel really bloated? Do I feel heavy? Do I just feel overall gross? Like, do I actually feel pretty good after, you know, and paying attention to those things, making mental notes to myself of, oh, like, okay, I know I'm definitely not going to eat that again. Or, you know, maybe this is something I indulge in on very, very rare occasions Mm. versus, oh, I really like this. You know, this is something I can definitely add to, you know, my grocery list, my grocery shopping list. Like, this is something I would buy again. So being very intentional and in and in tune or I guess listening to my body yeah I've I've only started to realize that if I'm pooping my brains out (laughs) that and I've bloated as if I'm three months pregnant (laughs) that's probably not the best food for me (laughs) probably not I just kind of accepted it though I didn't realize I know like that that's just the stuff I ignored I was like oh that's 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 fine that's what's bloating but then I've started to eat meals where I afterwards I feel really really good I guess what's your kind of go-to stuff for the different ebbs and flows of how you feel throughout the week well one breakfast is very a very important meal to me because I feel like it sets up my stomach for the day Mm -hmm. so I've been having oatmeal lately with cranberries and raisins even though I would love to have a croissant every morning but I can't you can (laughs) I can but my stomach doesn't I realize my stomach can't really take super like heavy um or like buttery things mm. in the morning and so oatmeal and especially because it's warm what does that have to do with I've noticed that I can't really start my mornings with cold things like yogurt we've talked a lot about eating so now I kind of want to go back to what we're doing it for it's like to feel good right how are you actively shifting from like I have to be skinny to I want to feel good what are the ways in which you're mending that relationship with your body image? It's so hard. Because I'm just going to start off by saying it's so it has hard. been very, very difficult. And I find that oftentimes when I hear other people talk about, you know, their struggles and their story with body image, they're talking about it when they've gotten to the other side, right? They're like, oh, I mm. love myself. I feel beautiful every morning. And, you know, like skinny is not beautiful like as long as you're healthy like that you know and you know it's like yeah you can say that because you quote unquote made it to the other side oh I but there's part of me that things like there's you know there's no way you really wake up every single day and like I'm so beautiful and if you do that's great I just think that's very unrealistic and for a while that's what I was striving for and I would get so frustrated myself when I would wake up and look at myself in the mirror and think oh like I don't really like the way I look today. And, you know, just thinking that made me feel like I was moving backwards in my progress, accepting myself. But I know this is going to sound really silly. I wrote out a list of affirmations for myself and I posted Mm -hmm. them on my bathroom wall. Mm -hmm. Hint, 
if you heard one of the previous podcasts, that's who Carissa was talking about. It was me and it was my bathroom. But, you know, even if I don't say the affirmations out loud to myself every morning, at the very least, I would like to think of it as exposure therapy, right? So I'm there. It's, you know, I'm beautiful. I'm strong. I'm capable of whatever life gives me today, you know, and I can get through it. And it ends with today is a good day. And I, I try to expose myself to that because it's, it's very, very easy for me to nitpick at myself of, oh, like my jeans fit a little tighter today. Mm. Am I getting weight or was I just a little bloated? And I really start to nitpick and I think like, oh, I recently started getting into weightlifting a little bit, which was yeah. inspired by Chris and Christy, so shout out to them. But, you know, with weightlifting, you build muscle and mm. when you build muscle, you naturally get bigger yeah and so in my mind getting bigger translates to oh my god like you're getting lean you're getting fat Mm -hmm. like you're getting fat when in reality gaining weight does not equate to getting fat nor does it equate to any diminishing of how beautiful or attractive or you know aesthetically pleasing I look you know any of that just because you gain weight it doesn't mean anything Okay, let's talk about the conversation that you and I had. So I was in this relationship. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, and the conversation came up about like masculinity. And then I, after having been removed from that situation, I was like, what does that mean to be feminine? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm feminine. I, ha- I have woman body parts. Like, what does that even mean? And then afterwards or after, you know, things transpired, whatever have you, I go to the gym as I usually did. And then I started to look in the mirror and like, I was getting buff. She <laughs> like, could beat anyone Because no, everyone has something that like naturally is just easier for them to get leaner or get bigger. Right. Mine just so happens to be my shoulders, my triceps and my biceps. <laughs> like those lean out the fastest. And the way that I'm built, my upper body is bigger than my lower body, sort of. Can you imagine like a chopstick with a bulge at the top? Like that's kind of, <laughs> that's just kind of how I saw myself. And so I was like, shoot, does that mean I'm too masculine? Does that mean that someone else has to be more masculine than me? Does that mean someone has to be more feminine than me? But that means you're equating muscles to masculinity. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to get at. We equate muscles to masculinity. What do we equate with femininity? It's changed like so much, so much over the years. Curvy, but like way back when it was like bigger girls were like attractive, and now there's this whole like body positivity thing, and now it's everyone's attractive, but people like idolize like Bella Hadid, and she's like stick thin, and like that's attractive. It changes so many times. I saw on this like fake news report. It was like a it was like a meme. <laughs> It was like this in women can never win. They're too skinny, <laughs> they're too fat, they're too pretty. If they're too pretty, then you know they're gonna they think they're too good for you, but then there's women who are not confident enough, and then there's women that are too you know, like mm-hmm. the list goes on and on and on, and you just can never win. So if you were to like see little Catherine walking around, what would you say to her? Baby girl. <laughs> <laughs> baby baby girl. girl hey 
what would I say to younger Captain? I would give her a really, really big hug. I think about this a lot. I'd give her a really, really big hug and tell her, you know how it's different when your parents tell you you're beautiful? You're, you're like, well, of course. I mean, I feel like you have to say that. Yes, the mom. I would tell myself that, you know, you are beautiful. And coming to Berkeley, if I could tell myself what the future looks like. Well, that would create a time. I know. But, so you know, maybe not. That. Anyway, it's good enough of the uh, I'm <laughs> Coming to Berkeley has been so eye-opening for me. And going back to kind of talking about growing up in a majority white community. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think one thing that was really difficult for me to grasp in high school is I just wanted to fit in so badly because I already felt so different. And fitting mm-hmm. in meant I was able to categorize myself in a way mm. when in reality I think growing up now I was thinking about this earlier this week I just want to be Catherine because I found that I was trying so hard to fit myself into a certain category of people we talked a lot about the past we talked mm-hmm. a lot about how you're beginning to heal you asked me this question I honestly I was like bro why would you ask me that <laughs> That's too good of a question. So I want to ask you, like, what are you scared to admit right now? Ah, jeez. <laughs> what are you scared to admit right now about your body image um, or just in general about yourself? I think something, that's, a, that's something I've actually been asking myself a lot this week because I'm noticing a lot of changes in my body just with weightlifting. But a lot of these changes that are happening, I'm not very used to because I... Up until I really started to get into weightlifting, my body shape has pretty much stayed the same. I never really like grew out of a size, for example, in like jeans before. Like I was always like I was always double zero. I was always like twenty four, and you know, like shopping for clothes was. I felt very fortunate because I knew like I was always pretty much like safe to say the smallest size. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, as I happily go do leg day and (laughs) yeah my Bulgarians I'm starting to build and grow muscle and that means you know I'm growing out of my jeans and that was something really really hard for me to accept because it's never happened before to Mm. me and I almost went into like a mini crisis about like oh my god am I like is this unhealthy like why am I getting bigger am I like gaining weights it felt like what is it I was trying to figure it out just reminding myself that it's just muscle and so there's part of me that's scared to admit that you know what my body looks like now granted it's not significantly different than what it looked like before at all um just admitting to myself like it's okay and that I am still beautiful in my own way and that you know it's it's not that deep yeah. Because it, it in some ways it me being very harsh on myself, not only with how my body looks and how clothes maybe fit a little differently on me now, it's almost an automatic response from what I learned in high school, mm. which I know now is is just not a correct way of thinking. Yeah. And so it's actively trying to work to correct this automatic thought process that happens. Something I have recently come to 
a realization in a way of I always knew this, but I think I recently internalized this, and those are two very different things. Mm, is that one literally who cares? <laughs> I know that sounds harsh, but like, why does anyone care what I look like? Because mm. of the people that care, those are the people that either have nothing better to do with their lives <laughs> and are really obsessed with me, or those are people that love and care about me. Mm. And the people that love and care about me probably aren't really going to care about what I look like as long as I'm healthy. Yeah. yeah. Like, when you die. Like, sure. And people's image of you. Yeah. It's not going to be that ginormous pimple that you had right in the middle of your forehead. And it's not going to be, like, the extreme amount of acne or that one roll of fat that goes over your leggings uh, when you're sitting down <laughs> or that extra little piece of chin that was there like they're just gonna have this vague image of you but they're yeah. not gonna remember what you look like it's how you treated them exactly and it's you know how you made them feel I remember one time you told me something that just shook my entire world I was like <laughs> how could anyone say that I remember you told me I think it was just I think I asked you what you were eating or like what like what you're making for dinner you're like oh I don't know I'm just eating for sustenance <laughs> I was like Oh my, that's terrible. <laughs> but then watching you grow in your relationship with food has also felt really, really rewarding because I see how much of an impact, how much of a positive impact it has on your life. Mm. Like, I just feel like you have, you already had a lot of energy before, <laughs> but I just feel like you have, it feels like a sustainable kind of energy. Mm. Now and I mean maybe that's just because you don't have that much on your plate, but I think sure. food has so much to do with it too. The last thing um, I want to ask you is like, after having reflected on your past experiences, how does that impact how you talk to other people about body image? I think, well, there are a couple of different scenarios, right? Like the first is when someone's really just like beating themselves up about whatever is happening. Then my first response is usually, well, why? like oh like I just like I hate the way my body looks well also why because a lot of the times I think for me at least like I don't I don't question the things I tell myself mm. and when you really are like well like repeat that again like really think about it you know for example someone could say like oh I don't like my arms I feel like they're really big and then oh. it's like well why? why is that a bad thing and it just is is not an acceptable answer <laughs> <laughs> you're like why because society told you so like mm. you're not unhealthy like it's not just I think the why is really crucial because I was like well why is she not like that she's going up to a tube that just probably means her butt is getting juicier <laughs> but to you it was like well because back then you needed mm -hmm. to be like the zero zero in order to be considered beautiful right well why do I think that having massive cannons for arms <laughs> is inherently masculine well it was because I was my femininity was put into question mm -hmm. why why okay <laughs> you know what if you have been following along if you made it this far, bless your soul. I mean, I know you will. <laughs> You're going to listen to this whole thing again and send me a review, but you guys know how things end. Or at least she does. With this 
speed round. Now I always hear don't... these in the podcast. I get so anxious okay. for the first. <laughs> okay. So don't look. Don't be a cheater. Okay. I'm not looking. Dream meal. Dream sushi. <laughs> I, I know her sushi. superpower is like. <laughs> Dream superpower. That's what people know. Dream superpower. This is going to sound so silly, but I love food so much that I, I just really want to be able to eat whatever I want and not feel full. <laughs> Would you still want to poop? Duh. like well bodily like my body would function perfectly normally but i just i just look i just want to never all the time dream dinner date like who would you want at the table it can be like dead or alive dead or alive like you can have your pick actually let's have like oh god <laughs> yeah mm. at that dinner party can we come back to- <laughs> <laughs> okay fine go to meal go-to meal sushi or like chicken katsu mm, comfort food comfort food sushi my gosh <laughs> high protein like high protein meal like really high need. protein meal if i really need it probably just chicken don't come for me Noah. <laughs> okay Noah has a thing in his arsenal uh biggest like food slash cooking ick <laughs> Food slash cooking ick. I've never thought of this before. This is a really good question. <laughs> I'd say when there, I when I just like can't see the effort in it. Okay. That bugs me so much. And they present it as if it there was a lot of effort and thought that went into it. When I watched them make it, and it was just like slap together. Absolute must in your pantry. A must in my, as in like snacks or mm. like define pantry. Snacks, peanut butter. Mm. I love peanut butter. Favorite seasoning. I'm honestly going grocery shopping after this. <laughs> I love mesquite. Okay, I think I have an extra bottle. Okay, <laughs> I guess where I'm going. Favorite cooking hack. I know my favorite hack. Yeah, I know my favorite that you've given me. Can you explain? Yeah, how it's to throw green onions in oil oh, and then use that oil. <laughs> well, I do. That's why they splash everywhere and they burn me. But and then using that oil to make the fried rice and like pouring it incrementally into the rice. Mm-hmm. I've learned so much stuff from her. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a hack, but I think it's really overlooked in a lot of cooking and baking, especially. It's no, it's not salt. <laughs> funny enough, um, it's. It's called a mise en place. So it's laying out all of your ingredients first. So if you're baking, it's like measuring everything, making sure like you have your sugar and your salt. So you're not, you know, mixing together your dry ingredients inside of your like, holy shit, baking soda. Where did that go? Like you have to lay it makes everything so much easier instead of trying to do a million things at once when you actually get started and you don't have time to slow down and do that. Favorite thing you've ever baked? That's such a hard question. I know. Probably my blood orange olive oil cake. It's either that or lemon bars. Or my apple. What's it your apple tart? Yeah, the apple tart. Okay. Um, what should make it this weekend? What is the kindest compliment you've ever received? You feel like home. Aww. That is a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite thing about yourself? Great question um how my mind works like it's very like no bullshit 
Mm, favorite thing about your body? Um, I really like my dimples. Um, okay, <laughs> and then last one, dream dinner date. Like you can, I'll I'll allow you to have like a whole party. Like, okay. Well, it wouldn't be a very big party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it can be dead, alive, famous, regular people like me. <laughs> uh, definitely Claire Saffitz. No idea what that is. I, I love her so much. She is the reason why I got into baking and why I love it so much today. And then Anthony Bourdain. Ooh. Yeah, I would love to have him at my dinner. Claire Saffitz, Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> yeah, maybe Gordon Ramsay, because why not? Um, and then... You, my family, try me. I'm so honored. That's that's the whole party. Yeah. Claire Savitz and <laughs> Dana and Gordon Ramsay are there to provide the food. <laughs> Anyways, I'll Google him afterwards. Okay, that wraps it up. Where can the people find you? What are you working on? I think we're still. Sorry, you're gonna have so much editing to do with this. I know. It's okay. Um, I have my food account. Don't forget salt with periods in between the words. Don't period forget period salt. Don't um, so it. if you want to see what I'm eating and cooking, baking, and enjoying life, you can follow me there. Otherwise on Instagram, Catherine Chong, first name, last name. I think that's it. That's honestly it for today's episode. If you made it the way through, mm, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for listening. I hope you found like a friend in one of us. And then for next week's episode, it's episode 20, um, which means since it's a digit of zero, does that make sense? <laughs> what? It ends in a zero times 10. I'm doing a Q&A. So follow my Instagram conversations with Carissa, and then you can ask me questions on there and I will answer them if they're not scary <laughs> just kidding i don't get scared except of heights anyways okay <laughs> so that's it your love i love you peace out fam okay don't laugh at that <laughs> okay bye everybody bye bye bye